0: Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your audio source for news in Hoosier law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Jordan Morey, Managing Editor of the Indiana Lawyer and your host.
1: And I'm Olivia Covington, Co-host and Editor of the Indiana Lawyer. Wherever you're listening from today, thanks for joining us.
0: Today's show will open with some recent headlines before going into a one-on-one interview with a leader from the Hoosier legal community.
1: This week's guest is Marion Superior Court Judge Alicia Gooden, who was recently installed as the newest president of the Indianapolis Bar Association.
0: Like the clocks this weekend, let's spring forward into our next segment. Today is March 9th, 2022, and these are your headlines. Let's start with some news that many of you have likely been waiting to hear for the last two years. Indiana's COVID-19 public health emergency has officially ended. On March 3rd, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb signed House Enrolled Act 1001, legislation that allowed him to end the public health emergency. Of course, this doesn't mean COVID is over, but it does signal that Indiana is preparing to move forward from virus-related restrictions. The legislation includes the key provisions the governor had said were necessary to end the public health emergency. That includes allowing the state to keep receiving about $40 million a month in enhanced federal Medicaid funding, as well as allowing about 200,000 households to continue receiving an additional $95 a month in federal food assistance, according to the Associated Press. Also, the legislation allows the state health commissioner to continue issuing a standing doctor's order for the administration of COVID-19 vaccines to children ages 5 to 11. The bill also includes language limiting employer vaccine mandates, although that language is notably less restrictive than when the bill was first introduced. The final version of HEA 1001 allows employers to accept religious exemptions to a COVID-19 vaccine based on Title VII of the Federal Civil Rights Act and to accept medical exemptions with a signed note from a doctor, physician's assistant, or advanced practice registered nurse, according to the Indianapolis Business Journal. Staying in the State House, Indiana lawyer editor Olivia Covington has another update on important legislation still alive in the Indiana General Assembly as lawmakers wrap up the 2022 session. Here she is with the rundown.
1: The Indiana General Assembly has until Monday to finish its regular business for 2022, so the last few days have been busy at the State House. Some important bills have reached the finish line, while others have been shuffled around in conference committees. Here's a look at the status of some of the bills we've been following at Indiana Lawyer as of March 8th. First, House Enrolled Act 1004, the bill I've been following that would allow Level 6 felony offenders to serve their sentences in the Department of Correction for mental health and addiction treatment rather than in the local county jail. Despite some Democratic pushback, HEA 1004 has sailed through both chambers and received the final stamp of approval from the Indiana House on March 1st. That means the bill is headed to Governor Eric Holcomb's desk for a signature. Holcomb can either sign the bill within seven days of receiving it, let it take effect without his signature after seven days, or veto it. So far, the governor hasn't said what he plans to do with HEA 1004. Next is House Enrolled Act 1041, the highly controversial bill that would prohibit transgender girls from playing on girls sports teams at the K-12 level. This bill has been bitterly fought at every step of the legislative process, but it passed out of the Indiana House with a 32-18 vote on March 1st. Holcomb has been reserved about HGA 1041, not explicitly saying he supports the bill, but also declining to say he doesn’t support it. In what is viewed as a win for Indiana Democrats, the equally controversial House Bill 1134 has died in the Indiana Senate. That was the bill that would have limited how teachers could teach about so-called divisive concepts such as critical race theory. According to the Associated Press, the bill's Senate sponsor, Republican Linda Rogers, declined to call HEA 1134 to the floor by the February 28th deadline. And so far, the language of the bill has not been revived in a conference committee. And even if it was revived, House Speaker Todd Houston has said he doesn't think his caucus would be on board. But the conference committee process is being used to revive so-called constitutional carry legislation that would not require Hoosiers to obtain a permit to carry a handgun in most situations. A Senate amendment kept the license requirement in place, but House and Senate Republicans are trying to restore the original language by inserting it into Senate Bill 209, an unrelated bill that originally dealt with drug schedules. The conference committee met on March 2nd to discuss the amendment to Senate Bill 209, which was widely opposed by Democrats. But the question of whether the constitutional carry legislation will remain alive was still unresolved at the time I'm recording this, as lawmakers continued to discuss the issue privately in their caucuses and the bill was not on any legislative calendar. Lastly, Holcomb signed Senate Enrolled Act 70 into law on March 7th, creating a Level 5 felony obstruction of justice offense for a person who induces a witness to give false or materially misleading statements during a domestic violence or child abuse case. Senate Enrolled Act 70 is set to take effect on July 1st. The next episode of the Indiana Lawyer Podcast will feature an interview with Senate President Pro Tem Roderick Bray, who will give us the rundown on all the major legislation of the year. Until then, check back with our website for final legislative updates this week.
0: Thanks, Olivia. Let's switch gears and dive into some court news. As you likely know, the Indiana Judicial Nominating Commission is in the process of interviewing candidates to succeed Justice Stephen David when he retires from the Indiana Supreme Court in the fall. The JNC interviewed 19 candidates last week, then selected 10 finalists for a second round of interviews last month. The 10 finalists include William Barrett, a lawyer in private practice in Greenwood, Judge Jennifer DeGroote of the Allen Superior Court, Justin Forkner, the Office of Judicial Administration's Chief Administrative Officer, Judge Ryan Gardner of the Marion Superior Court, Judge Derek Moulter of the Court of Appeals of Indiana, Judge Dana Kenworthy of the Grant Superior Court, Judge Gretchen Lund of the Elkhart Superior Court, Patrick Price, Special Counsel in the Indiana Office of Management and Budget and General Counsel to the State Budget Agency, Judge Rudolph Pyle of the Court of Appeals of Indiana, and Judge Mark Spitzer of the Grant Circuit Court. The date for the second round of interviews has not yet been announced, but we know it will be in April. After those interviews, the JNC will send the names of the three candidates to Governor Eric Holcomb, who will make the final decision on David's successor. The search for a new Indiana justice comes as the United States Senate is considering President Biden's first nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Biden announced Jackson as his nominee on February 25th, and her nomination was sent to the Senate on February 28th. The Senate Judiciary Committee is scheduled to begin confirmation hearings on March 21st, according to CNN. Meanwhile, back in Indiana, the JNC will need to reconvene soon after considering Supreme Court candidates to consider candidates for the Court of Appeals of Indiana. Judge Edward Najem has formally announced his plans to retire this summer, which means the Judicial Nominating Commission will soon begin considering applicants for his successor. Now for some litigation news. If you read the Indiana Lawyer Daily email, you've seen our coverage of a pending federal lawsuit against Noblesville High School in the Indiana Southern District Court. A student at the high school, named in court filings only as E.D., Is suing the school for allegedly shutting down a pro life student organization in violation of her constitutional rights. ED says she was initially given permission to launch the organization known as the Noblesville Students for Life Club with the goal of, quote, working to develop student leaders and empower students to knowledgeably and courageously speak about abortion, end quote. But according to the lawsuit, the school principal emailed ED's mother in September 2021 informing her that the club's status had been revoked because the principal was, quote, not confident that the club is a student-driven club, end quote. Later court filings indicated E.D.'s mother had attended two club meetings before the school revoked its status as an official student organization. In her lawsuit, E.D. rejects the allegation that her parents were helping her run the club and claims her constitutional rights were violated. But late last month, the school moved to dismiss the lawsuit arguing that while a school cannot exclude speech based on its viewpoint, it can bar speech that is consistent with the purpose of the limited public forum created at the school. Also, the school is arguing ED did not comply with the Indiana Tort Claims Act and the Indiana Claims Against Public Schools Act, which require a claimant to notify a public school of a problem and provide the school with an opportunity to respond with a remedy. ED is represented by charitable allies, while the school is represented by Church, Church, Hiddle, and Antrim. We'll keep an eye on the case and let you know how the court rules on the motion to dismiss. Next, some law firm news. We've been reporting about new law firm leadership since late 2021, and we're not done yet. This time, Indianapolis firm Lewis Wagner is the one announcing a new managing partner. That managing partner is Richard Blakelock, who has been with Lewis Wagner since 2001. Blakelock succeeds Jason Lee who just completed a three-year term as the firm's managing partner. Blake Lock represents businesses, government entities, and individuals in commercial and constitutional disputes. He holds a JD from the IU Robert H. McKinney School of Law, where he graduated in 1997, summa cum laude. Blake Locke is credited with helping to create Lewis Wagner's Business Services Practice Group. In his new role as managing partner, he'll be tasked with leading the firm's executive committee, which leads its strategic initiatives. As we wind down this week's headlines, We need to check in on some news dominating headlines worldwide. The Russian attack on Ukraine. Indiana lawyer reporter Katie Stancombe is working on a story for our next issue about the connection between the Hoosier and Ukrainian judiciaries. Katie, what can you tell us?
2: Indiana has its own ties to Ukraine, dating back to the early 2000s. Dozens of Ukrainian judges have visited the Hoosier state on numerous trips and met with members of the Indiana judiciary to witness democracy in action. Julie McDonald, who served as the veteran staff attorney for the Indiana Judicial Center and led the several projects Indiana initiated for international judicial collaboration, says those trips were initially inspired by former Indiana Chief Justice Randall Shepard. The trips were geared towards helping Ukraine in the development of its then-fledgling judicial system coming out of the USSR. The visits, from 2005 to 2009, were made possible from federal funding through the Library of Congress's Open World Rule of Law program in the United States Agency for International Development. Here's Julie discussing the exchange program. If you hear some noise in the background of these audio clips, that's just me typing. The idea was to welcome judges from other countries, especially former Soviet bloc countries, to come to the United States as part of a cultural exchange So that they could witness democracy in action. Ukrainian judges experienced different elements of the American judicial system while they were here, including court hearings, jury trials, prison visits, and one on one meetings with Indiana Supreme Court justices, trial court judges, and lawyers. Hoosiers also played a major role in the international judicial collaboration, including Dave Remondini, who was asked during his time with the Indiana Supreme Court as interim state court administrator to give presentations to Ukrainian judicial officers on media relations. Those trips took him overseas on five different visits to Ukraine, where judges, journalists, and other court staff gathered to learn new ideas.
0: When we went to these sessions all over Ukraine, um, the rooms were filled packed with judges. And uh, in some cases, the judges and journalists were in the same room, uh, maybe for the first time uh, ever. Uh, And uh, so there was intense interest in working uh, with the news media on the part of the judges.
2: Although the back-and-forth visits ended due to a decline in funding, both McDonald and Remondini say they were not only fruitful experiences for both Indiana and Ukraine, but they were instrumental in fostering human connection. To learn more, pick up a copy of the March 16th issue of The Indiana Lawyer. Back to you, Jordan.
0: To go along with Katie's coverage, I'm working on a story about how Indiana law schools are reacting to the situation in Ukraine. You can read both our articles in the March 16th issue of The Indiana Lawyer. I've got some exciting news to share this episode. IBJ Media has a new program this year, and we want our listeners to be among the first to know about it. The new program, Indiana 250, will recognize the most influential business leaders across the state in different economic sectors, including the law. We are looking for people who are influential statewide or in their Indiana communities or regions. And by influential, we mean people who others actively look to for leadership. We're looking for leaders across multiple economic sectors. We'd like you, Indiana's legal profession, to give special consideration to influencers in the legal sector. Please note that this is separate from our annual Leadership in Law Awards. So if you nominated someone for Leadership in Law, feel free to nominate them for Indiana 250 as well. But time is of the essence. Nominations are due by March 25th. The full list of 250 winners will be published in the IBJ on July 22nd and the Indiana Lawyer on August 3rd. We'll honor this year's list makers at an event on July 21st. For more information or to make a nomination, visit ibj.com/indiana-250-nominations. Okay, that's it for this week's headlines. As always, if you want to learn more about any of these stories, visit theindianalawyer.com. Stick around after our sponsor break to hear my interview with Judge Alicia Gooden, this year's president of the Indianapolis Bar Association. Today's modern law firm at Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, we have Indianapolis Bar Association President and Marion Superior Court Judge, Alicia Gooden with us via Zoom. Judge Gooden, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Good morning, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, As a little background, Judge Gooden currently presides over Court 14, a family division. Uh, She was appointed to Marion Superior Court in 2015 uh, by then Governor Mike Pence, having previously served the court as Master Commissioner from 2001 to 2010 and retained in 2018. She's held numerous leadership positions both on and off the bench and was heavily involved in the creation of the family division, which began operating in uh, January 1st, 2021. Uh, but today's focus isn't so much on your judgeship. For our listeners that couldn't attend last week, uh, Judge Gooden was officially installed as the 144th president of Indy Bar at a packed Highland Golf and Country Club in Indianapolis on March 3rd. Uh, first off, congratulations on your recent appointment. Uh, I know it was announced uh, you become become Bar president uh, back in 2019 for this year, and the ceremony was delayed because of COVID. Um, but what was it like to finally get to that moment to uh, commemorate your, your appointment last week?
3: It made it feel, first of all, thank you for the congratulations. Um, it made it feel real, um, to be honest. It's, it's, as you said, I was appointed or, or added to the slate in 2019. And so the, the president of the Bar Association is that is a kind of a three-year track. So we're uh, the first vice president, then we're president-elect and then we're president. So it's this huge buildup to kind of the culmination and the buildup was certainly changed uh, fairly substantially because uh, COVID hit not terribly long uh, thereafter. Um, Those of us that are in that path to leadership, there are a number of conferences that we do leading up some of our substantive in terms of leadership. Some of them are just more networking, getting to know other bar leaders from around the country. And I was able to go to one in early February of 2020. And then all of the other ones have been canceled. Uh, So, or or made virtual and, you know, you kind of hit or miss those. Uh, So that was a little bit uh, stymied, the regular path uh, approach. And then Of course, you're looking forward to that January, I think it was the 21st was the original day, 20th or 21st. Looking forward to that. That's marked on the calendar. I blocked it off of my court docket Uh, and the week before Julie Armstrong and I had a, with Reagan Gibson, who's the president of the Barr Foundation, had a conversation about, well, Omicron is is here. Uh, (laughs) The numbers are up what do you want to make it a virtual event? And both Reagan and I were emphatic that we did not want to make it a virtual event. Um, unfortunately, uh, Jimmy McMillan had to deal with that last year. And we just thought, you know, let's just do the technical swearing in uh, via Zoom on, uh, at our board meeting so that we can officially conduct business and postpone it till March. So it was like just kind of that huge sigh of relief that we actually got to, to do it. Um, and it was a really, it was a celebration. It was a, it was a really great day. I was, it was a very humbling day. A lot of people said really nice things and um, I'm sure I don't deserve much of it. So it was, it was really nice.
0: Is there any uh, advice that outgoing president McMillan uh, has given you?
3: Um, advice? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, he said, you know, have fun with it and, you know, kind of all those sorts of general things. I, I've known Jimmy for a very long time. He actually was my law clerk when I was at Kiefer McGough back in the late 90s. So I've met, met him, uh, or maybe early 2000s, um, met him quite, quite a number of years ago, and we've been friends ever since. I think really, in, rather than advice, I would say I h- hope to epitomize his leadership, his enthusiasm, his passion Uh, for the bar, for lawyers, especially young lawyers. Um, And so it wasn't so much what he said, it's what he's done and hope that I can uh, repeat some of it or carry it, carry it on. Mm
0: -hmm. I know you've held, kind of like I mentioned, various positions uh, across a a bunch of different legal organizations, but what do you feel like makes uh, Indy Bar unique?
3: I, a couple of things. One, it's huge. I mean, that we have over 4,300 members. Um, and that's, that's a really, you know, I, I won't come in contact with, with, a, with a half of that, of those people, probably not over the course of my legal career. And it, just thinking about the fact that we have so many lawyers in Indianapolis or central Indiana, and so many lawyers and our members, it really, um, you know, kind of drives it fuels my work, and and that I'm not just working for the lawyers that are part of the Family Vision, or working for the judges that are my colleagues, but I'm 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 trying to work and serve all 4,300 plus members of the bar, and so that's a little intimidating, um, a little scary because each one of those folks is is very very different and has different needs, um, and what might work for someone in the criminal justice section may not work for someone in the business law section or the labor employment section. So um, it, the fact that it's, that it's so large and across so many different um, areas of the legal community is, um, is one thing that makes it unique. I think the other thing that makes it unique is that we are, it's probably obvious to say it's a membership driven organization, but it truly exists to serve the members. Certainly, there are endeavors that we engage in with respect to the legal community at large, or are certainly helping um, the, the citizens of Central Indiana in, in many capacities. But it's driven by the work of our volunteer members um, and all that, that they, you know, as I said emphatically, all of these folks are volunteers. Um, they have day jobs that are, you know, quite pressing and, and very uh, challenging and, and put a lot of hours but so many of our members um, do so many other things within the association to serve other members, to serve their colleagues and to serve the, the community. Um, and I think that's another thing that makes it really unique is that you know, no, one's, no one's a member for themselves. I mean, they're, they're there certainly to get CLE, maybe attend some events, but then what else can they do to serve um, the community, build their practice and, um, and help enhance the profession?
0: What are some uh, skills and experiences that you feel you bring to your new role that might be different from maybe some of your predecessors?
3: I think one would be uh, maybe maturity and age. <laughs> you know, I've been, uh, my husband is a lawyer as well. We went to law school together um, and got married after our second year. So we've been through the whole gamut. So we just, we both just got our 25 year pins or um, memor- memorabilia. And so, you know, with twenty-five years of the profession comes some experience. I've been around the block. I I I, I know quite a few people, uh, lawyers and judges alike, which I think is is helpful to this role. I think leadership in the bar is getting um, younger. Um, more people are stepping up for leadership, stepping up to leadership uh, at a maybe more rapid pace than maybe my generation, um, and that's not a bad thing um, by any stretch. But I think I have the um, hopefully have um, wisdom of being around, knowing historically what the bar has done, what's worked, what's not worked. You know, how can we improve upon what hasn't worked in the past and and why, why it hasn't worked and how can we make that better? I think that's that's a helpful attribute. I I try very much to be a um, more thoughtful leader. Uh, I was a mediator as part of my my uh, my profe- my um, path to to judgeship as mediator for about five or six years. So um, I really tried to team build, build consensus, listen, um, hear what folks are saying. And certainly, have a lot of members that want to say a lot and a lot of different ideas and a lot of different thoughts. You know, we have a board that's 28, 29 members. Um, that's, that's quite a few voices to be heard and corral, And so I hope that I can, on, on whatever the issue du jour is, bring all of those voices together to to build consensus and reach decisions that are uh, in the best interest of the association.
0: Looking ahead, what are some of the initiatives uh, you're most excited about?
3: Uh, well, I think number one, I mean, I don't know if this is an initiative, but the fact that we're getting... That, that we're back in person um, that that we're seeing people again um, we were largely remote the first couple of months of this year um, certainly starting with the installation and then some board meet meetings over the last few weeks and moving forward we're, we're seeing one another again and so that's an exciting thing um, seeing folks that we haven't seen in, in many many months so that on per, in person so that's that is great um, I'm really excited about our uh, diverse equity and inclusion efforts on in our racial justice commission. Uh, we have spent quite a bit of time um, under the leadership of Jimmy, who really kind of spurred things along and Andy Campbell back in late 2020. Uh, we have been working extremely hard on our DEI efforts. We have an accountability manager on the board um, for the first time last year, that's continuing this year. We have an accountability, accountability manager on the foundation board. Um, we are, we have moved beyond um, our phase one of our commission efforts and we're into phase two, which is the legal community at large um, and working on how we can better train our members um, for more equitable and inclusive efforts and how they can bring those efforts to their law firms, their organizations, their companies, that sort of thing. So it's, that's truly it, it, it's invigorating and it's exciting. And it's really been um, going back to the fact that I'm old and have been around for a long time. It is, it's really uh, been eye-opening um, to think about where we've been and where we're going and hopefully you know, where we'll continue to go in the future. We're also doing on that same vein, um, we are trying to very much collaborate with our legal partners in the community um, with the Marion County Bar Association, with the Asian Pacific American Bar Association, with the Hispanic Lawyers Committee, which is just newly formed. We've, that's never um, happened before. Um, and so Enrique Flores, who's one of my board members, is is leading that charge. And hopefully um, the Hispanic Lawyer Committee will have a seat on the board at some point in the future, uh, just as the other, other two organizations are doing. So that's, um, that's, Really keeping us busy, um, but it's it's intentioned work. It's obviously positive work. I think we're making some good progress. Long way to go, um, but I think we're we're making some good steps in that direction.
0: Um, what is your pitch uh, to a lawyer on the fence about joining Indy Bar?
3: I think the. The 30-second or less pitch would be, or maybe it's even 10 seconds or less. You can't be a lawyer in Indianapolis without being a member of the association. You just can't. You're you're not fulfilling all that you truly could be as an attorney without being a member of the association. At a minimum, at a minimum, the networking piece, the fact that you have 4,300 other Lawyers at your fingertips uh, for business, you know, for referrals, for mentorship, for advice. um, That's at a minimum, and then of course throw in continuing legal education uh, that we provide, uh, much at a lesser cost than other organizations. Not, you know, across the across the country, not not just here in the state, Um, and quality uh, CLE. We have a whole a book of online on-demand CLEs that are available for free um, that people can access, that members can access. Um, And and then of course that there's other uh, CLEs that we offer both of of a hybrid approach and then of course in-person as well. So, um, and then, you know, we have some great events. I think that's the other thing is that, you know, you have enough for those folks that are maybe new to the practice, new to central Indiana, uh, younger lawyers, solo practitioners, Um, people that really need that camaraderie. Um, We have Bench Bar, which is an outstanding event that's held out of town in June. Um, It's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky this year. You know, 300 plus members uh, in smaller groups for our CLE. So you really get that kind of one-on-one experience um, in talking with lawyers and judges and other presenters about whatever the subject matter is. Plus then you get to have fun and you get to, you know, Relax and, and see judges wearing shorts, and you know nobody's wearing suits, and everybody's calling every their, you know first name basis. Um, we have destination CLEs. Uh, we have our Vegas CLE is one of them, and we have um, uh, we're we're starting another um, other destination CLEs. Like we're going to do a Cubs game, take a bus up to a Cubs game, do a CLE on the bus, and then go watch the game and come back. So there's a, there's there's something for everybody. If you are a, um, well, whether you're solo small firm or, 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 or larger than that, we have a, a law practice management um, program with anything you could possibly need to for your practice, to help build your practice. Uh, referrals, we have forms, we have access to computer uh, or software management. Um, we have uh, Jared Korea, who is our consultant out of um, the East Coast, will will give sessions for free on how to better practice, how to better manage your practice, um, how to better uh, maximize your dollars, uh, maximize your billing, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, there's, I can't imagine being a lawyer in Indianapolis without being a member of the association.
0: What is something that you would like members to know about you?
3: I said this at the installation, um, I think towards the end of my remarks, and, I really, it sounds kind of silly, but I really do like lawyers. Uh, I, 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 In fact, I love, I'm married to a lawyer. Um, I love the practice of law. I love talking to lawyers. Some of my best friends are lawyers. Um, I think lawyers are good people. Uh, I think lawyers are smart, intelligent. There's many, many out there that are way smarter than I am. Um, that, um, and I because I feel passion for lawyers and the work that lawyers do, I feel passionate about wanting to ensure that this year is one of their best years as a lawyer and a member of the association. Um, that I will do everything that I can to ensure their success. Um, if they if they want to bounce ideas off, if they need um, someone to talk to, if they have a um, you know not sure how you know what what. Um, what avenues they they might their career paths that sort of thing. I'm I pick up the phone and call me. Um, I'm I'm there for them. I want to be able to, um, I want to be able to help them, and I want lawyers to be to be better. I want I want to continue to improve the image of lawyers, um, and I think the association help does helps contribute that, and I hope that I can do that this year.
0: Absolutely, that will wrap up this week's episode. Thanks again to Judge Alicia Gooden for joining us today. Just as a reminder, as Indy Bar president, Judge Gooden will be writing columns in our newspaper from time to time throughout the next year. In fact, we've already published two of them. Um, Finally, if you need to catch up on any old episodes of the Indiana Lawyer podcast, they are available via your favorite streaming services.